You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah 25 in your Bibles. We're going through our series on the book of Jeremiah. And uh, I'm already, I'm, I'm looking forward to our, our next series. We'll probably start it around the first of the year is my guess. And we won't be done with Jeremiah, but uh, if, we, if we need to take a break, we can. But I've enjoyed this book and I've enjoyed the study. I hope you have too. And I want to remind you, you say, well, this is, it's not really applicable to us because, you know, Jeremiah, he was preaching to people who uh, were backslidden and they were away from God and they were not right with God and and, and I agree with that, and I understand a Wednesday night uh, prayer meeting and Bible study, this is the cream of the crop, I, I know that. But I also want to remind you that these people that Jeremiah is writing to and he is preaching to, at one time, they were like you and me. They were going to church, they were worshiping God, they were serving God, they were close to God, and something happened. And it didn't happen overnight. Uh, many I've heard preachers say that backsliding, if you liken it to a car tire, backsliding is not a blowout. It's usually a slow leak. It's gradual. And you've got to, and I've got to, every day, we got to walk with God. And every day, we've got to confess our sins. Because if not, over time, we will find ourselves in a position where we will say, how in the world? did I get this far from God? How in the world did I get to a point in my life where I, I wandered from God and I, I'm doing things and I'm saying things that I never would have dreamed of? And the answer is, when we get away from God, there's no limit to how far we'll go. And let none of us think it could never happen to us because it's happened to better Christians than you or I will ever be. Uh, none of us are exempt. We all have to walk with God. Jeremiah 25, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So these messages that Jeremiah preaches, they're not all in chronological order. For instance, we were talking a couple weeks ago about a message to uh, Jeconiah, to uh, Jehoiachin. Well, he comes after Jehoiakim, but these messages, they're compiled. They're all written to uh, the people of Judah for the most part till we get to the end. But here, Jeremiah is preaching to Jehoiakim. Now, I want you to look and see in verse one, and you know this, but let's, let's remind ourselves who was Jehoiakim's father, according to verse 1? Josiah. Now, I got a question for you. Josiah, good king or bad king? Good king, great king. But now here's what's so sad is Jehoiakim, his son, he comes on the scene, and Jehoiakim is not a good king. He should have been. He had a great example he had a father that loved God, a father that at eight years old became king and he, he, uh, he cleaned out the temple and he found the Bible and he saw great things happen because he sought after God. 
But you know what's amazing? And I want to remind us of this fact. But good parents don't always turn out good children. And how about this? Bad parents don't always turn out bad children. I'll give you a great example right here with these names. You know, Josiah, his father was a man by the name of Ammon. And Ammon was not a good king. But Josiah becomes a great king. And you say, well, if he would have followed his dad, he wouldn't have been a good king. But he didn't follow his dad. He followed the Lord. Well, now, Jehoiakim, if he would have followed the Lord or his dad, he would have been a good king. And he didn't follow either. So I guess what I'm saying is this, is that Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim should have known better. He had a great example. He had a great father. He had a great home life. He had all of those things. But children come to a point where they have to make decisions for themselves. And I understand what the Bible says. It says in Proverbs 22 that we are to train up a child in the way he should go. Ephesians 6, uh, fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we as parents, we ought to do everything we can. We ought to teach our children. We ought to train them. We ought to set the right example. We ought to pray for them. We ought to get them to church. But if our children, if they make choices and they go a different direction, that's not always because mom and dad didn't do a good job. Many times it's because mom and dad did the best they could and they prayed, but the children made decisions for themselves. So you say, well, okay, I'm a parent and I'm not even going to bother. Why try? You know, there's no, there's no secret recipe. There's no guarantee. Well, I'll tell you why we try. Because when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we want to be able to say we did our best. We did the best we could as a father or a mother to raise our children and to lead them. And I think Josiah, from what we know in Scripture, I think he did his best. But Jehoiakim, his son, comes on the scene, and he's the king in Judah. Notice verse number 2. The which Jeremiah the prophet spake unto all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even unto this day, that is, three and the three and twentieth year, the word of the Lord hath come unto me, and I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking. Notice the end of verse three. How sad. But ye have not hearkened. Verse four. The Lord sent uh, unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, nor inclined your ear to ear. They said, turn ye again now every one from his evil way and from the evil of your doings and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given unto you and to your fathers forever and ever and go not after other gods. Don't, don't serve them and don't worship them and don't provoke me to anger with the works of your hands and I will do you no hurt. Yet, verse seven, ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us and give us what we need from the word of God this evening. I thank you for these truths. I thank you that they're timeless. I thank you that they are powerful. I thank you that they can change our lives and I pray that we would apply them and let your word do the work that only it can do. 
We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We see in verse 1, Jehoiakim, he's the son of Josiah. Uh, he should have known better. Now, he was taught better. He was instructed better. Notice verse number 2. The Bible tells us that Jeremiah is preaching the message unto all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You know, sometimes we, we feel like that the Bible is, and, and the message is for somebody else. Have you ever, I've been there. I, I, I've been there before. I, I, I know this is wrong, but I've been there before where I'm in a service and the preacher is preaching away and, or maybe I'm in Sunday school and brother Dan is teaching and I'm thinking, boy, I hope, I hope so-and-so is hearing this. You know, especially when Brother Dan, when he preaches the, oh man, you ought to hear some of those, those uh, lessons on marriage. Oh, me is right. And boy, he gets on to the wives. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that if my wife were sitting in the room. But Brother Dan, he doesn't hold back. He just lets her rip. And, uh, and I'm thinking, boy, I wish my wife, I wish she would, no, no. I'm thinking, wow, I wish, I wish somebody would listen to this. And but you know what? I need to realize is that, yeah, the, the Bible is for everybody. It's for all of us. It's for me. I'm the pastor, but guess what? I need the Bible. You say, oh, I've been coming to church and I've been, I've been a, a, a member since the opening day. And so, you know, those, those other Christians, oh, those other people, they need it. You know, I'm going to say this as kindly as I know how. But if you ever have that attitude, and I've already told you I've had that before, but if you ever have that attitude that you don't need it and somebody else does, guess who needs it more than anybody in that whole room? You, me. Because the Bible is for all of us. This message was to all of Judah and all of Jerusalem, and yet they still would not listen. Notice verse three. It wasn't Jeremiah's fault. He said, I have been faithful to rise up early and speak. Jeremiah said, I have done my part. Now, that, that terminology is used in verse 3 and verse 4, where it says that Jeremiah and the, the prophets, they rose up early. You know what that means? That's not just talking about the time of day. That's not just talking about the, the Saints Alive Sunday School that's at 8 o'clock. That is signifying that something is important. If something is important and something has got to get done that day, you know what you do? You get up early. It's the first thing on your list. It's the first thing on your mind. It is your focus for the day. And some of you are thinking, is that why my husband gets up so early to go fishing and go hunt? Yeah, that's exactly right. Because that's the most important thing of the day, right, fellas? Oh, whoa, I didn't hear too many amens on there. Y'all just got yourselves in trouble. But you know, Jeremiah said, I, I was rising up early. That doesn't necessarily mean that he was up preaching at 5 a.m. But what he was saying was, this was important. This was number one. This was paramount. I had to tell you what God wanted me to say. But you know what's amazing is that God himself was concerned. Verse number four, the Lord has sent unto you. God sent 
the prophets. God sent his servants and he made sure that they were rising early and, and, and that God was sending them and God was signifying that it was important to him. You know, God's word was not given. The prophets did not go to preach the Bible to make people's lives miserable. Now, you may be surprised, but that's not the reason that I get up here on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and Sunday nights because I'm just trying to make your life miserable. You say, I bet that's what the staff does. I bet you they sit around and they just think, how can we, how can we make people mad? How can, we, how can we offend people? How can we preach stuff? And you know, No, you know why we have the Bible and why God gave us his word? Not to make our lives miserable, but to make our lives wonderful to make our lives enjoyable, to, to allow us to have the blessing of God and not, like we'll see in this chapter, and not experience the judgment that comes because we do not follow the Word of God. We see uh, it was important to God. It was important to Jeremiah, but the people would not listen. Notice verse number five. They said, turn ye again now, everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given unto you and to your fathers forever and ever. Notice verse 5, it says turn. You know, that word turn, it indicates there's a direction that needs to be changed. Uh, there's a course that needs to be altered. And a lot of us, Brother Dan, would you mind checking those thermostats? I, it's warm up here to me. Is anybody else warm? A few of you are? I'm telling you, Sunday, I don't know what we did, but that temperature was just perfect on Sunday. Somebody must have been out of town. Oh, that was Brother Dan was out of town. It wasn't perfect. Brother Dan, it wasn't. Uh, Brother Caleb and I, we were talking Sunday. It wasn't good because you weren't here. I remember what I was talking about. Oh, turning. Thank you, Brother Dan, for turning and going to the thermostat. Um, but you know, sometimes in our lives, we want, we want God to bless us. And of course we want things to go well, but, but sometimes we think that, that, that God's got to figure it all out because we still want to do it our way. Right. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, we don't want to change. It's kind of like our relationships with people. Everybody else is the problem, right? It's never us. Oh no. No. I mean, who would ever think that the problem was us? And uh, if you, uh, we'll get to this later, but if you have a problem with everybody else, you guessed it, it's not everybody else, it's you, it's me, we're the problem. But uh, we, we want God to fix everything, but we don't want to be willing to turn. We don't want to be willing to obey him and do what he says. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. you know the verse, but that's the verse where it says, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and do what? And turn from their wicked ways. That's when God said he would forgive their sin. He would uh, heal their land. You see, God had promised in verse number five, God promised that he had given them the land to them and to their fathers forever and ever. That is the significance of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. You say, well, well, why, why are we coming back to this earth? Why will we be on this earth for a thousand years to rule and reign with Christ? Well, part of that is that is the fulfillment of God's uh, promise to his people. You see, God promised Israel they would have that land. 
That would be their land. God promised that he himself would rule over them in Jerusalem, and that's the prophecy of the millennial reign. God promised his people that land. God never promised us the land. Now, I like Roanoke Rapids. I hope you do. And if you say, oh, I don't like Roanoke Rapids, I'm from Gaston or I'm from you know, Halifax or whatever, whatever land you, you like, wherever you live. But you know, God never promised us this land. There's no scripture that says you're going to have this land and here's going to be your board. No, no, no. You know what God promised us? God promised us a heavenly land. God promised us a home in heaven. God promised us streets of gold. But here God promises his people that they would have that land forever. Verse number six, he warns me, he says, don't go after other gods. Don't serve them. Don't worship them. And then this phrase is found in verse number six. It says, and provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands. You know, that word provoke is an interesting word. I think we know what it means, but it has the idea to, to make somebody mad, uh, to irritate somebody. <laughs> this word, I found this word in the definition. I thought, wow, that, that, that's a good one. It's, it's got the idea to trigger somebody. That's kind of become a, a catchphrase here lately. You know, oh, that, that triggers me or that just, you know, whatever. You know, when we worship other gods, when we put other people or other things in the place that belongs to God, did you know that provokes God to anger? Did you know that that upsets God? That makes God angry? We'll see later in this chapter that our God is a God of love. I'm glad. He's a God of mercy. But our God is also a God of wrath. You say, oh, I don't believe that. Oh, really? Well, what do you think happened when his only begotten son was on the cross and the whole earth became dark? What do you think that was? That was the wrath of God. That was the judgment of God. And God is a God of wrath. And, and, and his people were irritating him and provoking him to anger. Verse seven, here's why. They wouldn't listen. Ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. He said, you are only hurting yourselves because you won't listen. Verse number eight, again, we see the consequences and the consequences. Verse eight, because ye have not heard my words. Verse nine, God says, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. That's interesting. We'll come back to that. And I'll bring them against this land. And God says that uh, the inhabitants thereof and all the nations round about, I'll utterly destroy them and I'll make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. It's interesting, verse 9, God says, because you wouldn't listen... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this was written in the first year of his reign. He was not established like he would be in later years. But God said, I'm going to use Nebuchadnezzar. And notice in verse number nine, what he calls him. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my, what's that next word? My servant. Now, if you know anything about Nebuchadnezzar, he was a heathen man. Now, when you study the book of Daniel, you find that eventually, I believe, he got saved. Daniel chapter 4, 
Nebuchadnezzar, he was condemned to live like a wild animal, like a beast of the field because of his pride. And he got to the end of that and he said, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the most high God. He, he sets up kings and he takes down kings and he, he gives the, the, the kingdoms to whoever he chooses. It was, it's really, it's an amazing uh, chapter of praise to God after uh, God humbled him. But God says about Nebuchadnezzar, he is my servant. Now, I'll tell you one thing. I'm thankful that God can use anybody. Aren't you glad for that? And, and I could stand up here and say, oh, well, well, look at, look at how God, look at how God is using me. Wow, isn't God so lucky? Can I tell you that God does not need me? As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, he needed somebody to get a message across to a, a backslidden preacher, and he used a donkey. He needed a backslidden preacher to get moving and get over to Nineveh, and so God used a whale as his instrument. You know, God can use anybody he wants to. And the fact that he uses any of us is a miracle. You say, oh, well, you don't understand. I am God's gift to this church, and I'm God's gift to my family. And well, I, please tell me after service how you arrived and you became so special because the last time I checked, the very best we have to offer God is filthy rags. We are sinners. We are wicked. We are so, we are so full of pride and we're so full of sin and we get so full of ourselves, and boy, we, we have a temper and boy, we get, uh, we get offended and boy, it just seems like that's just day number one. And yet God still uses us. What a merciful God. What a mighty God. We are not better than anyone else. As a matter of fact, except for the grace of God, you and I, we could be uh, living out in the world. We could be living a life of sin. We could be on the street somewhere. We, 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 could be, we could be the lowest of the low were it not for the grace of God. But I'm so thankful that God has chosen to use us. But I want to remind us that to whom much is given, much is also required. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't have uh, the scriptures. He didn't have all the training. He didn't have all that, yet God chose to use him. But we have the Bible. We have uh, the resources. We have so much that God has given us. I think about in our country alone. I think about our young people. And I thank the Lord for our, our teenagers that usually sit up here and they sit other places too. But you know, our teenagers, they, they are so blessed to be able to be in a church, to be in a youth group, to be in a Sunday school class, to have the opportunities they have, to have parents like what they have that bring them to church and love them and care for them. But I'll tell you, when God blesses us with a lot, God also expects us to use those blessings for His honor and for His glory. We're responsible to God. Verse number 10, God promised with the judgment that He would take away their gladness and take away their joy and take away their rejoicing. I do think some Christians, I think they have experienced the judgment of God, and that's one reason why they don't have joy. I'll tell you, uh, sin will rob you of joy, and being backslidden will rob you of joy. And God's people, he, God said, I'm going to take it away. 
I'll take away the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, God said. But then verse 11, I think we'll have to stop here. I want to show you a couple things in verse 11 and uh, 12, and uh, we'll have to finish next week. But notice what God says in verse 11. This whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for how many years does it say? Seventy years. That's a long time. We're not talking about a little slap on the hand. God says you're going to go into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. You will be captive for 70 years, verse 12, and it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. Now, most, most Bible scholars believe that it was around 606 B.C., and it give or take a few years, but around there uh, when the, the first wave of captives were taken by Nebuchadnezzar. And it wasn't until 536 B.C. when King Cyrus made the decree and allowed them to go back to their land uh, that, 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 that that captivity ended, 70 years. But you know, God didn't just choose 70 years out of a hat. God didn't just get mad and lose his temper and say, all right, you're grounded for the rest of your life. He didn't need to do that. You know what's amazing is in the Bible, there's no coincidences. There are no accidents. I want you to see in Leviticus, I'll be turning a couple places here real quick. Leviticus 25, I want you to see this. And I want you to see the significance of this 70 years captivity that God told them was going to happen. It says in Leviticus 25 and verse number one, and you say, oh, you know, Leviticus, that's kind of hard to read. Well, it may have been hard to read for Judah, but I bet you they wish they would have read it. Because notice what it says in verse one. The Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when ye come into the land, which I give you, and that's where they were in the context of Jeremiah, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Now, we're not talking about uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy for God's people one day out of seven days. We're talking about the land was supposed to keep a Sabbath. Notice verse number uh, three. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. Now, turn with me, if you would, from Leviticus 25. Look at Leviticus uh, 26. Leviticus 26 in verse number 33. God says, God promises his judgment if they do not obey his word and his instruction says in verse 33, And I will scatter you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Notice verse 34. This is so, so powerful. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate. And ye be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest 
in your Sabbaths when ye dwelt upon it. Now, turn with me to one more, 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles, after 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 36, the last chapter in the book. Notice verse number 20. This is talking about the Babylonian captivity. And it says in verse 20, And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Notice verse 21. Don't miss this. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of who? Jeremiah. Until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. Isn't that amazing? You know why they went into captivity for 70 years? Because for 490 years, they had not obeyed God's law concerning the land. And so God said, you're not going to give it to me. You're not going to obey me and honor my word. God said, fine, I'll move you out of your land. I'll send you to Babylon. And then for 70 years, that land will get the rest that I told you it should get in the first place. Now, time out. You say, pastor, what in the world does that have to do with anything? We're not farmers. And by the way, if you are a farmer, uh, this is Old Testament law. You're not under that Old Testament law. But here's what God's people were supposed to do. They were supposed to let the land rest on that seventh year. And God promised, if you'll obey me, I'll bless you. I'll multiply your crops. I'll multiply your harvest. But they didn't trust God. They said, no, we think we can get more crops if we do seven out of seven years than if we do six out of seven years. And they just kept on going. Now, first of all, I'll say this, this is a very clear picture of the mercy of God. You know, God could have, after that first time they missed it, said, all right, you're done. God let it go for 490 years before he executed judgment. Aren't you glad for the times God's been merciful to us? Aren't you glad for the times that God's been gracious to us when we didn't deserve it? For 490 years, they had not observed the Sabbath of the land. That may not seem like a big deal, but it was a big deal to God. I'll tell you this. It ought to be a reminder that just because God does not deal with something immediately, that does not mean that God's okay with it. And there may be something in your life where you're like, well, I've been doing this or I've been or my or my, uh, my my family's been doing this or my coworkers been doing this and they're getting away with it and nothing's happened. It must be OK with God. No, what's OK with God is what he has told us in his word. And what is not OK with God is what he has told us is not OK in his word. And God's word is final. And you may oh, I'll skip over that. I'll no, no, no. They went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years because they did not obey God. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. 
For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.